130, Jerry will read the passage of Scripture to us and over us this morning. Psalm 130. Psalms 130. Uh, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. For you, O Lord, kept a record of sin. O Lord, who could stand? With you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his words I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than a watchman wait for the morning, more than the watchman wait for the morning. O Lord, put your hope in the Lord. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. You may be seated, may be blessed by the reading and hearing of God's word this morning. We are in Psalm 130 this morning. I want to talk this morning about uh, the waiting soul. Uh, The the forgiven soul is another way uh, that you can uh, title this message. Has anyone ever been caught in sin before? Anyone been caught? Or uh, my mom's favorite was this one uh, when I got caught in sin. Wait Wait for your dad to come home. Anyone ever got that one? That's straight up torture from a parent. I advise you parents um, not to use that one. Uh, it's just torturous. Uh, just uh, do the spankings yourselves. Don't have the, the daddy come home, at least for me. My, my dad would come home from a long day of work, and he didn't uh, get adjusted quite right, and uh, uh, my backside got lit up like a Christmas tree uh, because my mom would always say, just wait for your dad to get home. But I remember waiting uh, in my room as uh, it seemed like an eternity. Like I knew I had done something wrong. And those few words, wait till your dad gets home, it just gripped my heart with panic. I thought, oh no, how can I get out of it? How, do I have enough pillows to stuff uh, in my pants? Uh, can I wear enough underwear to cover the pain? Like just the panic would set in. And then what would happen for me, I don't know if it's happened for you, but I'd go into three, three different ways. Three different ways that I would begin to deal with my sin or deal with my guilt. The first one was straight up denial. I just would convince myself I hadn't done anything wrong. Like I would make up the story in my mind. I was caught red-handed, no doubt about it. But in my panic, I began to come into denial. It didn't really happen. Maybe I won't get punished. Like all the forms of denial that you can think about. And then when my logical brain set in as a a seven-year-old, which I don't have much of a logical brain at seven, I I began to rationalize. Well, my brother and sister, uh, Scott and Sarah, I'd blame it. I began to say, well, man, they've done things like this before. It's not that bad. Like that lie wasn't that big of a deal. I saw Scott do it. I saw Sarah do it before. I began to rationalize away my guilt so I wouldn't feel so guilty lying in the bed. And then the other way I would do it, I would just straight up justify it. I just justify my behavior. Well, I had to. I had to lie about it. That cookie was too good not to take. Whatever way you look. So we, as people, we deal with uh, guilt in three ways. But I want to teach on the fourth one this morning. But do you deal with guilt this morning? Are you here with a guilty soul this morning? And you are straight up just in denial about it. 
We, we talked last week about all the forms that we use that are idolatry in our lives. And we'll use all those forms of idolatry as a way of denial. Or do you rationalize your sin away? Do you rationalize your guilt away? Or do you justify your sin away? I, I want to talk about this morning the thing that God's word calls us to. He never calls us to deny our sin. He never calls us to rationalize our sin. He never calls us to justify our sin. He calls us to confess our sin. And I wonder, church, are we a church of true confession this morning the way this psalmist is and was? This is one of six, one of seven. They're they're called the, the Psalms of Sorrow. There's seven psalms of sorrows in the Old Testament, in this book alone. And and it's the idea of the writer is sitting, writing and journaling and singing out to God his sorrow of his sin. Is your life and is my life marked with sorrow over our sin? Do we have a Holy Spirit in us when there's sin in our lives, it causes us great Sorrow, that's what happened for this man that wrote this psalms. Remember this psalms that, of ascent that we're talking about are those moments of the, the exiles going back to Jerusalem to worship their holy God. And I wonder for, for us, and I wonder for the people, as they were journeying back up to Jerusalem to go into worship, that the Holy Spirit began to lay on their hearts ways that they would be unable to truly worship God you see sin prevents us from holily worshiping God if we have sin in our lives that's a barrier between you and God it's a barrier between you and me it's a barrier between you and the church and so I wonder as these men and women were journeying up to worship a holy God that they had that guilty conscience I don't know if you've ever been to church with a guilty conscience but it is miserable and i think these men and women they're beginning to journey god through the inspiration of the holy spirit began to say things to them hey do you remember when do you remember how you treated your wife right before we loaded up the donkeys to go to the hill do you remember how you treated your husband? Do you remember how you treated your children? In all those places, this guilty conscience weighed on them. The waiting soul. This is Martin Luther, the great reformer, the, the man that, that nailed the thesis to, to deliver the, the, the church from the Catholic church. He would say this about this psalm. This is his favorite psalm of all the psalms. He loved it. He called it the Pauline Psalm. The Pauline Psalm means the the, the books of Paul. If you look at the books of Paul, Paul wrote about true confession and true holiness. What does it mean for us to live in a right relationship with God? That's really what Paul wrote about historically all the time. So Martin Luther called it the Pauline Psalm. This is one of the, the greatest Old Testament chapters to point us to what does true gospel-centered living look like you want to know what the gospel is the good news of jesus christ go right here to psalm 130 it maps out what the gospel is it maps out how for us to live a gospel-centered life 
We're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at at this this morning. We're going to look at four things in this song. It's broken into four stanzas. The the four stanzas are this. The first one is this. There's a cry out from the depths, verses 1 and 2. The second one is there's a confession of forgiveness or a confession of sin, verses 3 and 4. The next is the waiting for the Lord, verses 5 and 6. And finally, the call for hope. Let's look at verses 1 and 2, what the psalmist says and does. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice, my pleas for mercy. You see, when we have sin or we have a guilty conscience, the first thing that we must do is have a cry out. There must be a cry out in our soul the way the psalmist says, I cry out to you. Out of the depths I cry out. The word depths, you circle this in the Bible. Remember, it comes out of Jonah chapter 2. We studied Jonah uh, when I first got here to Powell's Chapel. Remember in Jonah chapter 2 that the sin of Jonah had finally caught up with him. That he'd been running from the call of the Lord. He gets on a ship to go as far away from where God had called him to. And that storm comes, and in the storm, Jonah panics and says, it's me, it's my sin that's causing all this. So so take me, toss me overboard. And then in chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer for deliverance. And you remember in Jonah chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, it talks about he's in the depths of the sea. So this word where, where the psalmist says, the depths, it's this word or the imagery of being in the bottom of the ocean. In the muck and the mire of the ocean. He's as low as he can go. His sin is finally caught up with him. He's so low. He's saying, out of the depths, I cry to you, oh God. I, I wonder for us, church, have we seen our sin? Do we see our sin as just we're wading in the kiddie pool? Like we're kind of sitting Indian style. It's kind of around us, but our sin totally hasn't consumed us. We're kind of comfortable in the kiddie pool of sin. Or are we just in the shallow end? Like, okay, it doesn't come to my waist. It it kind of is at chest level. It's kind of uncomfortable, but it's still manageable. Or do we think we're in the deep end with floaties? Like, man, this is getting a, a, a little unbearable. It's a little shaky, I, I can't, but I can still kind of handle it. I can still kind of manage it. Or for us this morning, church, has our sin so consumed us that we're in the bottom of the ocean, in the muck, in the mire, that there's nothing that we can do You see, this moment, this cry out, this man who wrote the psalmist realized that there's nothing he could do. He was finally at the place that he was powerless over his sin. That it so consumed him that no matter what he tried to do or how he tried to do it, he was only making it worse. I don't know if you've ever been at the bottom of the ocean, but it is nasty down there, first and foremost. And if you've ever been down there and you begin to wade around in it, it's kind of like quicksand. The more you fight it, the more it consumes you. And finally, the psalmist is saying, I give up. I give up. I will do a cry out to a holy God. 
I've cried out from the depths, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice for your pleas of mercy. It's as 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 he's saying, oh, please help. Help, 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 help. You see, what we must realize is that God hates sin. Do we realize that? Do you know he abhors sin? He hates it more than anything else in all of the world. The thing he hates the most is sin. Right? He tells us in his gospels, be holy for I am holy. He said to Adam and Eve in the garden, hey, you can do all these things, but the one thing do not do. Do not eat of that tree. And what did they do? They ate of the tree. And they realized for the first time they had sinned against God. That sin, why God hates sin so much. Sin causes relation, relational fraction between God and ourselves. It's a separation. You see, sin separates us from a holy God. See, it's not because God just hates the effects of sin. He hates what sin does relationally to you and to me with him and him alone. You see, God has set a mark for our lives, a mark of holiness, a mark of righteousness, a a mark of goodness. And when we sin, that relationship is severed. God hates sin. It says it in Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Verse 6. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. God hates sin. Do we know that? Do we realize that? Do we really get that? Because if we don't get that, there's no reason to move on to the next three points. Do you realize? Do I realize? Church, do we realize God hates sin? Because when we begin to realize that God hates sin, we will have a cry out to a holy God. Because we'll come to the end of ourselves and says, there's nothing that I can do. I've sinned against the holy God. Therefore, there's a chasm between me and God. And there's nothing that I can do to bridge the chasm. You see, which will lead us to the next point. The confession of forgiveness. He cries out for mercy. And then he says this in verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Think about that for a moment in your life and in my life. If God would take an account of all of our sin, the psalmist says, who could stand against that? Who could stand up to that? We cannot. I love that one word at the beginning of verse 3. If you would do that. It's a question more than a statement. Do you see the promise in that one word, if, is saying that if God does that, but the beauty is God doesn't do that. When there's what happens in the next verse. But with you, there is forgiveness. You see, without forgiveness, there's no way for the gap to be bridged. There's no way. 
You see, if, if you took all of your sins and you laid them out before all of us, we would all say all that is a great separation and a great chasm between you and God. And there's no way that you or I can fix those sins. I cannot, as your pastor, if you brought all of your sins to me and laid them out on this table, that I could do anything with those sins. There's nothing that you can do with those sins. There's nothing that the deacons can do with those sins. There's nothing that the Sunday school leaders can do with those sins. Like, no one could stand. No one could do anything with those. But with you, there is forgiveness. Do we realize that sin is the problem? Do we know that sin is the problem? It says it this way in Romans chapter 3. This is all of us in the room. We all have sin. We all have a sin problem. Amen? All of us. It says for this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is what the psalmist says about those who don't recognize their sin. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. But do you and I realize the sin that is laid out before us? And do we realize that sin needs to be forgiven? And do we realize that there's nothing that you can do or I can do or we the church can do to forgive those sins? Do do we realize that? Like there's not enough confession to me that can do anything with those sins. There's not enough confession to one another that will rid you of those sins or white out those sins. But there is one that can through confession. The only way for forgiveness is the avenue of confession. Here's what he says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Circle that in your Bible. Not the pastor's faithful. Not the deacons are faithful. Not the church is faithful. He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cl- cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. What we need to do with our sin is confess it before God because the moment of a confession happens it says this that the just and holy God forgives you of all those sins but with you there is forgiveness but with you there is forgiveness here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 whoever can feel conceals his transgressions or his sins will not prosper but the one who what confesses and forsakes confession is the 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 words that come out of our mouth and the forsaking is the turning of the sin and going the other direction there has to be a confession that happens but there has to be a lifestyle of change that happens through the confession the writer of proverbs says because but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy mercy is not getting what we do deserve That's what he says in verse 1. To the voice of my pleas for mercy. Do you know and do I know, do we realize what if we do not ever confess our sins and there isn't a holy God who forgives us of our sins, what, what the payment for that is? It's, it's total judgment. 
Because God is just. And so because we have a just God, but we also have a merciful God, and and His mercy through our confession, He doesn't give us what we deserve. And what we deserve is eternal hell, eternal separation from Him. But we have a just and merciful God. Here's what He says about confession through uh, Acts chapter 3, 19. Repent, or confess therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Have you and I come to true confession? Here's the deal, when we confess, there is forgiveness. God forgives. God wipes those sins away. Here's the beauty about forgiveness of sins from God. There's four things. God's forgiveness of our sins is inclusive. It includes everything. Think about that for a moment. God forgives everything. There's nothing that you've done and nothing that I've done that God looks down on and says, man, I'll forgive all of that, but that, mm, not so much. God's forgiveness is inclusive. No matter if you're a murderer, you're forgiven. An adulterer, forgiven whatever you've done here this morning whatever that one sin that lingers in your mind and lingers in your heart that satan uses to say god can't forgive that the word of god says no god forgives it all all means all all the sin that you and i've ever committed or will ever committed has been forgiven because of the finished work of jesus christ do we believe that church because i'm going to get to the end Because if you believe that statement, then you'll do verses 6, or you'll do verses 7 and 8. Do you believe God's forgiveness is inclusive? The second is this. Let's look at the verse. It says this in verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness. Underline that in your Bible. Is. That word means immediate. God's forgiveness is for now you and i don't have to wait for his forgiveness the forgiveness doesn't happen at the judgment seat when you and i confess our sins before a holy god you are forgiven in that very moment god's forgiveness is now on the spot the third one is this god's forgiveness is for those who want it i look at the passage Here's the man that's crying out to God. God is willing to forgive when we bring our confession to him. Do you want forgiveness? There's so many people on the planet that don't want forgiveness. I've heard it from people. I'll just wait. I'll just wait to ask God forgiveness. I'll live the way I want to now. Well, God does not want a heart like that. God wants a heart that wants true forgiveness today. Do you want forgiveness? Because if you want forgiveness, he freely gives it to you. And if you're one of those people here this morning that is waiting for forgiveness so that you can live however you want, you have a heart problem. You see, you and I, we are not guaranteed this afternoon. You cannot wait for forgiveness. Because if you're waiting for forgiveness and God tarries tonight or he takes you home with him, you still have to pay the payment 
for your unforgiven sin because your waiting is not the payment. His forgiveness is the payment. The last one is this. We'll see this in the other one. We see this through confession. God's forgiveness always, hear me outright, always leads to holy living. That's what it means for me to confess my sins. That's what it means for me to repent. That's what it means for you to repent. That I've been going this way, and I've been going this way in sin, but I'm going to repent, I'm going to confess. And when I repent and confess, this way of living is not worth it. I must turn through confession and live a holy life. And so I beg you to and implore you to look at your life. Do you live a life of holiness and godliness? Because if you don't, I would say there is a lack of true confession in your life and in my life. If I'm not living the life God has for me and desires for me. If you want to know how God wants you to live, just read the Sermon on the Mount. Go back and listen to the old sermons that, I, that we preached on here. That's what it means to live a holy life. It's not a life of perfection. It's a life of desire to be a more and more and more like Jesus. And when we miss the mark, we confess. That's what it means to live a holy life. Are you living a holy life? Because if you're not, I don't think you've experienced true forgiveness. I don't think you've asked God to truly forgive you. I don't think you've experienced that forgiveness for yourself. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about with God forgiveness. There is, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be loved and worshipped and served. You see, when you've truly experienced true forgiveness, you will live a life of service and worship to a holy God. It will change you forever and ever and ever and ever. It will not be a behavioral change. It will be a change of heart. And when the heart changes, the behavior will change. But you have to experience true forgiveness. You have to. We must. The, the second one is, the third one is this. When we have truly been forgiven, we understand that God may be feared. Verses 5 and 6. I'll wait for the Lord. For my soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the, for the morning. What does it mean that we wait for the Lord? What the psalmist is talking about is this eager expectation. And it's not the eager expectation when you hear the words from your mom, wait till your dad gets home. That's not the waiting that the psalmist is talking about. The waiting that this psalmist is talking about is, man, I cannot wait to be in the presence of the Lord. That's the waiting this psalmist is talking about because they truly have been forgiven. They have this understanding that, hey, I'm in this world and I've been forgiven, but yet this world leaves me empty and dry. I can't wait to be in the presence of the Lord more than the watchman watches for the morning. You see, the watchman watching for the morning is that they had these watchtowers and that watchman would wait eagerly, waiting over the horizon so that they could see the enemy finally. 
right? If, if, if they didn't have the technology we had. So the watchmen would watch and watch and watch eagerly over the horizon to see where any of the enemies were. And the moment the daylight happened, the moment that that sun broached the horizon, it shed light and they could see all the enemy. And so there's this eager expectation. And what the psalmist is saying, even more than the watchman in the morning, our soul longs to be with the Lord. You see, is that true for you? Is that true for me? Pals Chapel, is that true for us? Do we have this eager expectation of being in the presence of the Lord? Does your delight come with being with the Lord? Do you long to wake up in the morning, not to get to work, not to brush your teeth, but that you can spend time with the Lord? Do you have that eager expectation? Do you delight in the presence of the Lord? I would say this. If there's no delight... And there's no eager expectation to be with the Lord. I would say this. There has to be unconfessed sin in your life. There has to be. Because then you are waiting not for delight, but you're waiting for punishment from the Lord. Who wants to wait eagerly for punishment? Nobody in this room does. And so I'd say to you, if you don't eagerly have this eager expectation to have your delight in the the Lord, that there has to be some unconfessed sin that you are in dread when the Lord comes back, that you don't delight in that. You totally are in panic about that. You see, when there's unconfessed sin, it breaks that relationship. But when there's the confession of that sin, we long to be with one another. We long to be with the Lord. Do you have that longing this morning, church? You see, because if all those things are true for you, if there really has been in your life that you've called out to the depths of the Lord, that in your awakeness to your sin, that you've cried out to God, and in your cry out, you've made for a confession, and in your confession, you really have been forgiven, then you will live a different life. It will be so eager that you can't tell enough people about it what leads us to the last place. Right? It, it looks like, man, where is he going with this? All of a sudden, it's, he's talking in the first person, I, I, I cry, I cry, I cry. And then in verse 7 and 8, he turns it and says this in verse 7, Oh, Israel. That's interesting. He doesn't say, I hope in the Lord. He turns it and makes it a public declaration. It's a public invitation. It's the same kind of invitation that is given for those who want other people to experience what they've experienced. That's what happens at our weddings. We send out this public invitation so that people can come and celebrate with the bride and with the groom all that's happened we want this place to be filled with people because we want people if you're the bride or the groom you want people to enjoy what you've enjoyed right isn't that what the 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 wedding is all about this invitation for other people to experience what you want them to see in your relationship with your bride 
or with your husband? Well, that's what the psalmist is saying. He said, man, I was in the, the depths of despair and I cried out to this holy God and this holy God in his sovereignty and his mercy, he reached out in the mire and the muck and the clay. He pulled me out of that and pulling me out of that. He, it's as if he washed me white as snow, the psalmist says. He forgave me of everything. And I had this realization that this, there is a God who's forgiven me of everything. And now the psalmist is saying, I can't hold that in. I've got to let all of Israel know that there's hope in the Lord. You see, church, VBS for us is way more than a few days, Sunday through Thursday, to open the doors, to let kids come in and have fun and do some crafts and eat some candy and wreak havoc on this building. You see, VBS for me, and I pray for our church, is this. Hey, we've experienced true forgiveness of our sin, and we can't help but to tell the world about the Savior, Jesus. And so we would say to this community, Walter Hill, this community, Murfreesboro, and my hope is to the ends of the world. Oh, world, our hope is in the Lord. My hope is that when these kids come, their hope isn't in a stupid fidget spinner. My hope isn't in, their hope isn't in a video game. Their hope isn't in a book. The hope isn't in their studies. A hope isn't in their house. But their hope is in the Lord. Well, how will they ever know that unless they're told? Well, how are they ever told unless you and I have experienced? How have you and I experienced if we haven't come out of the depths and out of the mire and our lives have been changed? You see, if that's not true for us, church, then we're going to have 50, 60, 70, 80 kids come in, and we're going to give them nothing but toys, games, and fun. And they're going to leave the same way they came in. You see, it's not the toys, it's not the game, it's not the fun, it's not the refreshments, it's not the craft that will change their life. The only thing that will change their life is confession of a holy God. Do we believe that, church? Is that true for us, church? Because this is the truth. He says it. This is your hope. This is the children's hope. This is their parents' hope. That there is steadfast love with the Lord. You see, the Lord is still in the business of loving people. That's the first thing he says. There's still hope. There's still love that the Lord has. And he is plentiful in redemption that's god's desire you see the cross is all about redemption the cross is all about us not being able to bridge the gap but god knowing the gap had to be bridged so he sent his son jesus to bridge the gap for us and then the promises in verse eight underline the word will he will redeem not he might redeem not he could redeem not he should redeem not there's a chance that he will redeem no when there is true confession of sin and god's steadfast love is poured out on people that he will redeem people through the finished work of jesus christ and so here's my challenge for us this morning have you experienced the forgiveness of your sin have you experienced an intimate 
relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you have, then you can't, you cannot hold it in. You want every man, woman, and child to repeatedly hear the good news of Jesus Christ that you've received. You see, as Michelle said, that you may not be able to come from 6 to 8 the week of VBS. We understand that. We get that. But here's our hope for the whole church is to participate in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child that will come, that each day they will repeatedly hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And on that final night, I will get up and I will boldly proclaim who Jesus Christ is. And so we're asking you, we're asking you to participate as a church in the week of VBS through prayer. If that's all, we know this, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Our way to be in with Christ is through prayer and prayer alone. And so we're asking that this whole board, it's 15-minute slots every night from 6 o'clock all the way to 8 o'clock, that it will be filled with name after name after name after name, that you are crying out to God that God would use VBS the same way that however the means he used to redeem you and set you free, that God would use us, Powell's Chapel, to set the hearts and lives of people free to experience the good news of Jesus Christ. And we need you. Church, I need you, the church needs you, the community needs you to partner with God, that God, we would cry out to a holy God to redeem the hearts of every man, woman, and child. So we're asking, if you cannot be here that night, that you would take 15 minutes out of your day to pray that the God of the universe that redeemed you and saved you would set the captives free. Every man, woman, and child that will be here the week of VBS. So the question for you is this. The question for me is this. Have you truly come to a place of true forgiveness of your sin and a true understanding of what that means? And that you are eagerly waiting for Christ's return and there can't be enough and therefore you want every man, woman, and child to repeatedly hear the good news of Jesus Christ that you heard and that drew you to himself. Let us pray. Out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word. I have hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning. More than the watchman in the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. With the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. God, it's through the finished work of your son Jesus that we've been forgiven and we've been set free. God, I pray if that's true for us in this building today, God, that we would rejoice in that that we would take a moment at the end of this service to be caught up in what it means to be a child of God, that we've been redeemed, that we've been set free, that we've been made right, that we've been made holy. And because of that, God, because you sought me when I was a stranger, when you sought me when I was a sinner, you redeemed me.
and set me free. I pray that would captivate each of our hearts if we know you and trust you this morning. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning that they're sitting here and there's that one sin that continues to linger in their life, God. That one thing that they can't really be assured they've been set free and forgiven that this morning, God, through your word and your teaching and your reading or our singing of your word, God, through your Holy Spirit, that they would know they've been set free. It doesn't matter what they've done, God. That the blood covers it all. And they've been set free. God, I pray if there's anyone in here that has never placed their hope and their faith and their trust in you, that today would be the day that you would draw them to yourself. They would realize, God, in this moment, they are in the depths of despair. They're in the depths of their sin. And there's nothing that they can do. There's not enough behavior modification that can change that. They need your forgiveness. God, we now begin to pray for every man, woman, and child in our community that will come into this place in just a few short weeks that are lost, that are sheep without a shepherd, and that God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw all men to yourself. I pray for us as a church, God, that you do call us to plead on behalf of those who are still lost to be redeemed. We're desperate for you, God. We need you. Your word is so clear. Apart from you, we can do nothing. God, I do pray for the other churches that have even already had their VBS or are set to have their VBS this week or the weeks to come, God, that you across this city, God, would use VBS, Vacation Bible School, to redeem people. Think of Walter Hill and their sign this week. I pray for them, God. I pray that the children that will go there would hear and see the gospel. I pray for Tom over at Grace Church. I pray that you would use their VBS in the coming weeks. Pray for Lighthouse Baptist Church. I pray for New Visions VBS. I pray, God, just down the road for uh, the Church of Christ that will have their VBS this week. That, God, that the gospel would be preached and taught and received and people would be redeemed. God, stir an awakening in the hearts of people. We need a great awakening in this country, God. Desperately. We pray that you would do that. Pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here this morning and uh, you need just to talk.